But this evening, I want to speak about something a little bit different, which is also one of Luther's rediscoveries, very powerful rediscovery. I'll be mentioning a little bit about this on Wednesday evening as one of his legacies. And this is the discovery of the truth of the priesthood of all believers. You know, back in Luther's time, not everybody was a priest. In fact, if you wanted to be a priest, you had to have a special vocation. You know the word vocation? It comes from the Latin. It's calling. And in Luther's time, before he had such a tremendous experience with God and the Reformation came, uh, vocation, the, ho the only holy vocation that there was, or the only holy calling that there was for people, was to become a priest, or to become a monk, or to become a nun. And that was the seen as the most pleasing life that you could give God. People understood not everybody could become a monk, not everybody could become a priest, not every, especially the ladies, obviously, in those, uh, even today you can't be a priest in the Catholic Church if you're a female. Not everybody could be, an, could be a nun, but everybody recognized that was probably the thing that would most likely get you into heaven, and it was probably the calling that was most holy. Everything else, well, it didn't really matter, just hope that you get into heaven some way by the skin of your teeth. And so Luther followed this in his early life and the idea of being in these special orders as being the only holy calling of God. And there was a distinction between what, what has been called the spiritual and the secular. You ever heard of that? Secular is a nasty word. God does not like it. God doesn't like the word secular because secular says, God, you have no part to play in this. And God is the creator of all things. All things come from him and all things are ruled over by him. Everything can be redeemed in our society. So, but in those days, and it's still a problem today, people had this idea of what was holy and God's area of activity and what was secular, not God's area of activity. And so the only calling that was valid was to be a holy calling, was to be a priest or to be a nun or to be a monk. Well, Luther, chiefly him, was going to change all of that. I'd like to do a, a couple of readings from you. First, a reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 5. That's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 5. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So there, Peter, speaking to the whole church, he was saying that each one of you, male and female, Jew or Gentile, you are a priest, a royal priesthood. Now, for Peter to say this was absolutely revolutionary. I mean, we as Christians may think, oh, yes, we're all priests, whatever. What does that mean? But in those days, not everybody were priests, were they? Uh, Gentiles certainly weren't priests. Women certainly weren't priests. Uh, and most of the men weren't priests either. The only priest was a special class that could trace their lineage from the tribe of Levi. And only they could minister to God in the holy place. Only they had this special vocation, this, this special calling from God. But here, Peter says, all Christians, no matter what race, no matter what gender, 
no matter where they come from, they, whatever age they are, they are his holy priesthood. Um, and then further down in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. But you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Oh, all right, okay, I've got, I'll get my two scripts. I read you 1 Peter 2, verse 9 to 10. Okay, that's what I read you. Um, I got my scriptures mixed up, but 1 Peter 2, verse 4 to 5. So there's two scriptures here. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 to 10, I just read that and then read it again. And 1 Peter 2, verse 4 to 5, a bit earlier on. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a, in, into a spiritual, has to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable God through Jesus Christ. Look at that a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so in Luther's day, the only holy calling was to be monk, a priest, or a nun. All other vocations, well, they weren't even seen as callings from God. If you were a farmer or, or, or if you uh, worked in trade or if you were a teacher or anything like that, well, that was fine. But don't think that that's got anything to do with the priesthood or some holy calling. But Luther, reading these passages, realized that the Bible was very, very revolutionary because the Bible did not recognize a certain separated group of people to become the priests, the ordained priests. And, and this was strange for him because he was an ordained priest in the Catholic order. And, and the ordained priests in the Catholic order were seen to, to carry very special powers. The, the local priest had the power to forgive your sins. He could absolve you of your sins. The local priest, and only the local priest, had the so-called power to celebrate the Catholic Mass, through which saving grace was communicated by those that, that received it. And so the Catholic priest had incredible spiritual powers, that's what people thought, to forgive sins, to act on behalf of God. In fact, you didn't really need to go to God yourself. Uh, you went to the priest instead. And so your relationship with God, your hope for the future, your forgiveness of sins was a relationship, a man-made relationship between you and your local priest. That's the way that it was. You didn't fall out with your local priest or your bishop or the pope or else you, you would be excommunicated, meaning they would send you to hell. So this was the environment. If you've been brought up in Bible-believing Christianity, you might think it's very strange, it's hard for you to think, but that was it. There was a separated class of priests at that time. And the bombshell to Luther was this was totally incorrect and unbiblical and absolutely not the teaching of the New Testament that every single believer, whatever age or gender, as I've said, qualified to be a priest. We were a nation of priests. 
In fact, what it is, is that God has called Christians out of the world to be priests in the world. And so we, in a sense, are priests, as Peter said. We are there. We didn't receive mercy. We have, and now we're here to proclaim the mercy of God as priests on behalf of God to a lost and dying world and call them to join us in this priesthood. God's own possession, proclaiming his excellencies, and also, as we saw, offering up spiritual sacrifices as priests. Luther called this a double calling. There was a double calling for the believer. The first calling in this double calling is to come to Christ. In other words, the first call of God is that you should recognize your need of Jesus the Saviour to recognize that you are a sinner and that somebody needs to pay for your sins and that Jesus has died for the sins of the world so that we don't have to pay for those sins if we trust in him. It's the first call. And so once we come to Christ and we feel the call to salvation and the call to follow Jesus and the call to ask him by faith for forgiveness of sins, that's the first call, the first call to be forgiven and a Christian. But there's a double call. And the second call is how to express your Christian faith as a priest. And in Luther's opinion, you express your priestly ministry in whatever calling God has given to you. There is now no secular spiritual divide. So you, you can't say, oh, well, preaching, that's spiritual. But driving a tube is not spiritual. What Luther was saying is, you need to find out what God has called you to do in this life. And whatever it is, then that to you is your priestly service. So I said a tube driver. Uh, we, we have uh, 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 a, 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 well, we may have more, but we, we have um, Giuseppe, who's uh, a very strong part of our church and everything like that. He, he's, he's been a tube driver. He's a tu in the tubes. And, and, and his work, and when he's down there at Notting Hill Gate Tube Station as a supervisor, and he's got his hat on and everything, he's not just doing his work as a supervisor. He's helping people like he would be helping Jesus. If he gets the opportunity and it's appropriate, he'll share the faith. He told me stories of the time when he rescued. He's Italian and he actually found some Italian girls that had had their money stolen. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know where to go and they were on the tube and they was distraught. So he got hold of them. He got his wife involved. They looked after them. Uh, they, 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 they gave him a place to stay, something to eat. And, they be, and the families became good friends, him and the family of these, these ladies over in Italy. And they were able to minister to them the love of Jesus. You see, immediately there, that is like a picture of someone operating as a priest in their holy vocation. That is his calling, as much as perhaps my calling this evening is to preach to you, as much as that is his calling at this present time to work in the London underground. It's not that my, pre that my preaching is a better calling or a more holy calling or a more spiritual calling. It's whatever God wants you to do is as holy as any other calling that's out there. Now, when, when Luther said this, then uh, uh, people were, were, were amazed that the possibility 
that what they did in their life was in some way as important as what all these priests were doing, or these monks, or these nuns, or these bishops. The idea that a simple, ordinary person, if I can put it in that way, because that's what they were thought of then, that their simple and ordinary lives could be as special and priestly to God if they put God first. I mean, even housework, you know, housework. These days, I hope we all do our share of the housework, male and female, so I'm not going down that route. But, but this is what Luther said about housework. Just cleaning the house, keeping it well, you know, do it, making sure the kitchen, all that stuff. He says this, housework, although it has no obvious appearance of holiness, yet these, uh, these simple household chores are to me more valued than all the work of monks and nuns. And so Luther was bringing God into every aspect of our lives. And so that meant that whatever you did, whether you were a servant, whether you were a farmer, whatever you did, if that's where God has placed you, then as a priest, you were called to it, and you were called to do it unto God as much as a preacher would or a priest. And so in Luther and the Reformation, they recognized there's no such thing as an ordained priest in the Christian church. We're all priests. They recognized that some might be called to church leadership to preach and to teach, but just because someone was called to church leadership to preach and to teach, and that was their function, didn't mean that somehow they were more spiritual or more holy or doing something more holy than somebody that uh, 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 perhaps looked after horses or perhaps made garments and was a tailor. They were equally holy before God. Now, when I say this, I say this, we still haven't learned the full lessons of the priesthood of believers today. Even in the church today, there, there is sometimes still this lack of understanding, this idea that pastors, somehow pastors are the new, are the new priests, and somehow pastors are, 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 have a special holy calling, and that's their job. The, the pastors are there uh, to do everything that's spiritual, and will come on a Sunday, perhaps, and get fed, and then go away. But the pastors are to do the work of the ministry, and the evangelists, they're to do the work of evangelism. They do all the spiritual things, and, and we well, we do our jobs and we try and get by and we, we listen and we give where we can. That's the sort of picture of traditional church. It's not like that here at Kensington Temple. We have long believed that, uh, uh, that the fivefold ministry, apostles, pastors, um, evangelists, teachers, and prophets, they're not there to do the work, but they're there, Ephesians 4 says, to prepare and help the people do the work of the ministry. That's why we have cell leaders, the elders of Kensington Temple are cell leaders. And some of our most successful pastors uh, don't have reverend in front of their name at all. They're lawyers. They, uh, they, they work in retail. And they are pastoring and looking after the people, not only in Kensington Temple, but the people they meet right where they are. They, they don't see it as a job of some ordained reverend that somehow, reverend, I mean, the very word reverend is quite offensive, actually. You say, well, you've got it in front of your name, guilty. 
But it's quite offensive, the idea that somehow you are revered. You're to be revered because you're an ordained, recognized pastor, and that others are not to be revered and can't have reverend in front of their names because they work in business or they work in finance or they look after their family. Um, I mean, it's totally alien to, uh, to, to, to what the beginnings of the Reformation saw. And so this wonderful picture, Luther said that vocations, all callings, he said they're masks of God, masks of God. In other words, if you look carefully, those that are Christians that are understanding that whatever their calling and gifting is, is uh, as much a priestly work as a church leader or worker, these people, they are masks of God because as they submit to God and do their work unto God and put Christian principles in their area of expertise, then Luther says they're masks of God because behind them God is working. So the farmers that provide our food, God is working through them. The doctors that heal us with medicine, God is working through them. The police that protect us, God is working through them. The government that organizes us, God is working through them. And if they are Christians in those positions, how much more can God work through them when they're not just in one of these functions that helps us in society, but they're doing it unto the Lord and unto one another. So I want you to think about this. I want you to think about where you are and what you're doing. And, and we have a whole program, and you may know of it, called the Giants of Influence, where we gather people in different areas, uh, in business and education and family and law and order and medicine and uh, uh, other areas out there in society and we're going to be increasingly doing this to encourage one another out there in the marketplace priests in the marketplace because that's where the greatest work of God is done now Peter talked about about your spiritual sacrifices and I want to uh, address this before maybe we bring it to a close I just want to highlight the issues the question is how are you representing the God that you're a priest of out there in your place of work? Wherever you're going to be on Monday, how are you representing your God as a priest? Because a priest represents God to the people that he's with. For you, you are probably the only true priest that those people at work are going to come into contact with on a daily basis. Think about that. Not a Catholic priest. A Catholic priest is no more a priest than anybody else. If they're a believer, they're a priest, but not because they're Catholic or have been ordained by a bishop. That stuff is nonsense. But if they're a believer, they're a priest just like you and me. But you are a priest wherever you are. God has placed you there as a priest. A priest to proclaim where you can and to share the good news as you build friendships. But also more than that, to demonstrate and to model how a priest of God acts as a businessman or woman. How does a priest of God act as a teacher in a school? How does a priest of God act working on the London underground? How does a priest of God act if you're a mother or father at home and your, your main focus is bringing up your children? How does a priest of God act in the armed 
forces. How does a priest of God act in the uh, retail trade or the, or, or the restaurant trade or the farming? You know, everyone that you can think of, I would say, how does a priest of God act? You know, I remember listening to Derek Prince. Anybody ever heard of Derek Prince? If you've never heard of him, find out he's one of the greatest Pentecostal teachers uh, in the last generation. And we've had him here a number of times at Kensington Temple before he died. I remember listening to a tape and he was talking about finances and money and integrity. And in this tape, uh, he said, he said this, he said, do you know my advice to you? He said, if you want to get a builder or someone to work on a building or in your house, Whatever you do, don't ask a Christian builder to do it. I thought, what? Because he's very measured in what he says, Derek Prince. We all know him. He was educated at Oxford, a philosopher. So he's very measured. He doesn't say things lightly or emotionally. He said, I have found that in business, that Christians are worse than non-Christians in timekeeping, in, uh, in, in being trustworthy and doing, doing the job. So my advice to you is if, if you want a job doing well, don't go to a Christian. Well, I thought that was really tough, and I thought, well, he must have gone through a few experiences himself. But I can honestly say that I too have found that, that there's, very, there's, there's very rarely a difference between a Christian and a non-Christian in business or in trade today. In fact, there's a number of times we've had to deal as a leadership with Christians who have been part of Kensington Temple, who have offered to do building work or, or business or do business work with members of the congregation. And the members of the congregation think, well, because they're Christians, that they're, they're bound to be honest, they're bound to be on time, they're bound to do a good job, they're bound to good, be a good deal. And so they say, yeah, sure. And then the Christians, and they are Christians, say something like, well, can I have the money up front or whatever? Yeah, sure, you are. There's no contract because why would you have a contract with a Christian? You can already see, can't you, how this is going to end. And then in the end, it turns up a mess. The builder leaves a whole mess in the garden. We've had that. Or, or doesn't do the job, won't give the money back. And it's carnage. And then the people come and say, this is what's happened to us. What can you do? And well, we can only do, do so much. We're not lawyers. Uh, we, we, can't, we can't go to the police on these types of things. We can sit down and have a word with them. And, uh, and, and we have done. And, we, and we've, we've had to deal with them over the years. But it's tragic. It's tragic that sh this should be the place. Now, I'm saying I hope that, that we understand what Luther understood, that wherever you are and whatever you're called to doing, do is as holy a calling, calling as a preacher or a worship leader up here. And there's not one standard for preachers and another standard for people out there. There's not one standard for, for so-called ordained ministers and, and people that are working out there. It's the same standard because we're all called to be priests in whatever area God has placed you. It's a holy place. It's a holy calling. And what you do day by day, you say, oh, I work in, in an accountancy firm and, and sometimes it's a little bit, you know, run of the mill run of the day or whatever like that. You're doing that for God. You're not doing it for a salary first, although you need a salary. You're doing it unto God. God is your boss. You're a priest. You're being called to that vocation at that present time. And so uh, if, you, if, if, you, if you play around a bit, if you knock off early when you shouldn't, 
you're knocking off early for God. It's called, if, if, you, if you twist, if, if you put in uh, uh, a timesheet or you, you, you give something where you expect money to be paid for you and you haven't done the work or you weren't there during the hours, this is very, very holy things because you're doing that to God because you've not just got a job out there to get your money, but your boss is God. You're a priest in business. You're a priest in the factory. You're a priest, priest in the care home. That's where you are. And God is watching and God is expecting high levels of consecration so that you can proclaim through work and deed to a dark world what a Christian should look like as a priest in whatever area. I hope that God is speaking to us all and showing us areas of, of alteration that should be made in, a, in our lives to recognize that what you do in your workplace or your study place is extremely important to God because that's where your holy vocation is. You know, there were in the history, you see some groups of Christians that took the priesthood of all believers very, very seriously in the double call. So, for example, uh, ever heard of the Quakers? Well, the Quakers was a powerful move of God during the English Civil War in the 1600s, started by George Fox. And, um, and, and, and they were real back-to-the-Bible people. Uh, and they, 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 would, they would rather offend man than offend God. So one of the things, for example, a Quaker would never do, and everybody was wearing hats in those days, it was, it was normal, as a, just, just a remark of, of honour, that if you passed somebody that was a judge or, a, or, or an estate leader or somebody at a higher level than you, if you passed them, you would doff your hat to them. Well, Quakers refused to do it. They refused to do it in front of the king. They refused to do it in front of the judge. Why? Because we're all equal. We're all the priesthood of believers. And we don't have to do that. And so they would drive people up the wall. And many times they'd be imprisoned because they were so hardcore Christian. But the other thing about Quakers is that they believed that every calling was a vocation. And so if you were a Quaker black blacksmith, then you were doing that for the Lord. And so the way you treated people as a blacksmith, you were doing it unto the Lord. You didn't cheat people. You gave them a fair deal. And if they cheated you, you didn't, you didn't go and get them back because this was your holy calling. In the finances, they were absolutely straight. People didn't like Quakers, but they knew they would be fair and honest in their trading. After a while, it got out that if, if, if you want a decent pair of shoes making for, made for you at a decent price, go down to the Quaker cobbler. He'll do it for you. If, if, if you want to do business with, with someone, if you, want, if you want a bank that won't rob you and, you and you need a loan or you need some finance, it was soon found out, go down to the Quakers. They'll not rob you. They'll not cheat you. Uh, they won't do it because of their fear of God. They'll give you a good deal. And within a generation, the Quakers had basically taken over the business life of England. And people were complaining, bishops from other churches, they were complaining about these Quakers because although you might not like a Quaker, you know you'd get a good, fair deal from them. So people would go into the village and say, are there any Quaker businessmen in the place? And so you'd always go to the Quaker because the rest of them, were, you just didn't know where you stand. 
And so out of that came some great financial institutions. They might not be great now, but here's some Quaker banks. You ever heard of Lloyd's? Quaker Bank. You ever heard of Barclay? Quaker Bank. They grew prosperous and successful because they acted as priests in their calling. They were serious about God in what, in what, they, what they did. I mean, the Quakers, I'll just, I don't want to get down here. We need to move on to prayer because I could go on about this all, all day. But the Quakers... The Quakers also saw the drunkenness that was, that was killing families and destroying families. And so they decided, some of them, that they had to have business to try and help those that were locked in alcohol and had no alternative. And so the Quakers began by making hot chocolate and chocolate drinks so that they could give that to their children instead of bottles of gin and things that they were doing. And so out of those chocolate drinks became chocolate. So have you ever heard of Cadbury's? Quaker. Have you ever heard of fries? Have you ever had a fries chocolate cream? Fries? Quaker. Uh, Roundtree's? Quaker. All of these were Quaker. Clark's shoes? Quaker. Uh, and we could go on. Uh, in their origins, and they became so successful because they applied the priesthood of all believers. I tell you what, if you're in the building trade or, or the plumbing trade here today, if you apply the principles of representing God in your trade and you'd rather have your customer hurt you than you hurt God and trust that God will get you through. If you turn up on time, if you do a good job, the best job you could do, even, even above and beyond what they're paying you for, and charge them a fair price and give them good customer care. I tell you, if you do that, you'll be a millionaire in a few years' time. Because out there, there's such a mess, and the Christians are part of it as well. That's the problem. Same with the, whatever area you're in. That people will, will be amazed that there's someone here that's trustworthy. And even though they might not, not like the fact that you gave them an RT Kendall tract on your last day, they'll, they'll talk about you and they'll tell someone else about you. And your integrity will not only bless you, but it will also proclaim the goodness of God. Amen.